Happy Father's Day. How's everybody doing today? Yeah. Hey, can we give it up for all of our campuses? We have great bands at every campus. Can we just give it up right now? I mean, wow. Incredible. Thanks again for being here. I want to say hello to all of our campuses. Let's also give it up for our God Behind Bars guys. We love you guys. Happy Father's Day. Appreciate you guys as well. Let's say our mission statement together real quick. What are we here to do as a church? We're here to take as many people to heaven as we can before we die, period. That's what we're all about here at Church Unlimited. Again, thanks for being here. Right now, I'm going to ask at all campuses for all the dads to stand to their feet right now. We'd like to honor you, fathers. So stand up. Would you do that right now? All of our dads. Come on, dads. Hop up. Hop up. Let's give these guys some honor. We love you guys. Grateful for you. Thank you guys so much. Great to have you guys here. This is an easy day for me to celebrate fatherhood because not only do I get a chance to be a father, but I have an amazing dad. My fa father, forgive me for, for just indulging me for one moment. My dad is in this service. So dad, I honor you. I love you. I'm so grateful for you. I've got a great dad. So the poor man has had to deal with his son for 46 years. I am so sorry for the torture I create, but that's okay. We love my, I love my parents, or I'm so blessed to have great parents. And, and uh, you know, I know that as I talk about Father's Day and we're gonna celebrate dad all day, I, I realize that, that today's not an easy day for everyone though. So I just wanna stop and just take a moment and say that I realize today, uh, this may be a tough day for you. Maybe you've lost your father, and so you wish you could celebrate with him rather than just celebrating him today. I just want you to know we're praying for you today. We know that's not an easy thing for you. And there are also people here today at all of our campuses that maybe you're in a strange relationship with your dad or you're in a strange relationship with one of your children. And that's really a tough thing. And so I'd like to take a moment to pray for you. Can we do that real quick? I just wanna pray for you because I realize that as much as we wanna celebrate Father's Day, it's not always easy. There's also some great stepfathers in the room. There's also some great grandfathers who stepped into a role that a father has been not committed to. And so we wanna honor each and every one of you. Let's just pray right now. God, I thank you for fathers. I thank you for the ability that we have to be uh, fathers to others. And Lord, I thank you, God, that you are even a father to the fatherless, Lord. Thank you, God. Your word is clear on that, Lord. And we thank you, God, for fathers and surrogate fathers who have stepped into that role. Lord, we pray, especially for those today, that today's a tough day. Maybe they don't have their dad with them anymore. And I pray for, these, uh, for those today who are here that are just hurting a little bit, Lord, that they would feel your grace that they would know that you love them, that you're there with them during this time. And God, I pray especially for those who maybe did not have a good father in their life. Lord, I pray, God, that their kids would not be able to say that or that we would step into that role, Lord, and be good fathers that make an impact on our children. Thank you for today that we can celebrate these good fathers. And thank you, Lord, for all these men who are here gathered in your house today. Lord, that just puts them a step ahead right there of being the kind of fathers, Lord, that are godly fathers that put you first. Thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Again, thanks for being a part of our services today. I love being a dad. I love Father's Day. It's so much fun. Yeah, give it up for these dads. It's a blessing. And, you know, look, I'm all about, I'm all about being a dad, and I totally embrace the role of father, but I do not embrace the father bod. That's the only thing I'm holding back on. I'm trying to fight the dad bod thing. I heard about a dad. He got on the scale, and he was weighing himself, and he <gasps> sucked in his belly as much as he could to look down, you know, and his, his daughter walked by and said, Dad, that doesn't help. He goes, yeah, no, it does. I can see the letters now. I really can. It's, it actually does help. So I stepped on my scale earlier today, by the way, and it said back to me, one person at a time, please. I was like, wow, that's... Very, very painful. And so, you know, but no, I love Father's Day because I love the gifts. You know, I'm kind of a gifts guy. And so I love to see what I bought myself. You know what I'm saying? It's great. <laughs> so I love Father's Day. It's, 
It's wonderful like that. So heard about this dad. He was walking by his son's room and he noticed it was spotless. This like never happens. He, he has this teenager and he's like, how in the world has this happened? So he just, he kind of was like, okay, wait a minute, what was that? So he walked back into the room and he stepped in and the bed was made perfectly. Everything was perfect. And he's like, what is going on? And there was a note folded up and it said dad on it. And he was like, okay, what's this about? So he had just had this eerie feeling like, I don't like this. So he grabbed the letter and he opened it up and here is what the letter said. Dear dad, it is with great regret and sorrow that I'm writing you. I had to elope with my new girlfriend because I wanted to avoid a scene with mom and you. I have been finding real passion with Lori, and she is so nice. But I knew you would not approve of her because of all her piercings, tattoos, tight motorcycle clothes, and the fact that she is much, much older than I am. <laughs> but that's not all, Dad. She's pregnant. Lori said that we will be very happy. She owns a trailer in the woods and has a stack of firewood for the whole winter. We share a dream of many, many more children. Lori has opened my eyes to the fact that marijuana doesn't really hurt anyone. We'll be growing it for ourselves and trading it with other people that live nearby for cocaine and ecstasy. In the meantime, we pray that science will find a cure for Lori's herpes. She deserves it. Don't worry, Dad. I'm 15 now, and I know what I'm doing. Someday, I'm sure we'll be back to visit so you can meet your grandchildren. Love your son, Daniel. P.S. Dad, none of this above is true. I'm over at Tommy's house, but I wanted you to remind you that there are worse things than my report card. Oh, I'm not done. I love you. Call me when it's safe to come home. Don't you love being a dad? It's just so great. Yeah, yeah, there you go, right? So kids don't get any ideas, all right? That's not funny. So, hey, you guys like this car behind me? Is that nice or what? Like, that is sick, right? I mean, I was like, what? So that's a 2017 Dodge Challenger Hellcat. Top speed over 200 miles an hour. 707 horsepower. That thing has got some power behind it, right? You know, I love cars like this. This is the kind of car you buy and don't drive, right? You buy and you just park it in the garage and leave it for about 50 years, right? And then you sell it for about half a million dollars later, right? Like that's the kind of car you do that with. Think about that. Someone did that back in 1957. They bought a Chevy when everyone else just drove them. Someone bought it, you know, with all the fixings, all the, all the options on it, and they parked it in their garage, put a dust cover over it, once a month, got it out and polished it, kept it nice for 50 plus years, right? Then they take it to a place like Barrett's Auction and they sell that thing for a, you know, a half a million to a million dollars. It's crazy. And they bought that thing for $2,000 when it was new and expensive, right? But they left it alone. Can you imagine buying something like that? Imagine going to Barrett's, right? And you're the guy who's got the half a million bucks and you're gonna go buy this car off someone who stored it, you know, protected it, guarded it, never drove it. It's got under a thousand miles on it, right? It's got the original engine, original interior, original leather, original paints, all been, you know, kept well the whole time. And so here you are, 56 years later, you buy this car, right? Now, can you imagine if you bought that car and you just started driving it? He started driving to work and back and drove it on the beach and took your kids out to, you know, ate an ice cream cone and, oh, spilled it, oh, well. Can you imagine? I mean, how foolish would that be, right? I mean, you would never do that. If someone took the time to keep it that nice, you would want to protect that so you can then pass it down to the next generation. That's kind of like our faith. That's kind of like our values. 
Is it really, we, we have a generation that, that has given us their faith and their values. And the question is, fathers, are we passing that same faith? Are we keeping it nice and polished and protecting those values and then passing them down to, to our children? Or are we just living on what they protected and not keeping it sacred to give to someone else? That's really what I want to talk about today. In fact, I have four things I want to lay down with you today, if I can, dads. I want to just talk to the dads, if I can. And I think this will be a blessing to everyone here. But the first thing is this. I want to, today's message is called the 100-year promise. Think about that. You know, a 57 Chevy will be around 100, a car like that protected will be around 100 years now. They have 100-year-old classics now. Did you know that? Think about the Ford Model T, over 100 years old. And so you can actually buy that car, but it would cost you probably several million dollars if it's truly in mint condition. I mean, that's pretty amazing. Think about that, right? So you would, you would obviously protect that and guard that and, and keep it in a safe place and make sure you pass that down to the next generation. I mean, that's just too nice to not protect. It's too valuable, right? Well, our faith is that way as well. Look at Deuteronomy 6. This gives us a 100-year vision of our faith. Look at this. It says, these are the commands, decrees, and regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. You must obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy. And you and your children and your grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. So your children and your grandchildren. My father's over 80 years old. Sorry, Dad, I know I gave it away, but you look great, okay? But, you know, you, you, you've been around a while, and I've been around a while, too. And then my kids, you know, they're starting to get a little bit older. So when I think about my father's faith, I didn't begin it. My father and my mother did in our family. So their faith has been passed down to my wife and I. And my wife's parents passed their faith down to her as well. We got married and we're now passing the faith of our family down to our children. So when you think about that, my father and my mother's faith, their faithfulness to God is going to be over 100 years. Isn't that cool to think about because the truth is, I'm living in the blessing of my father's faith. I'm living in the blessing of my mother's faith. I'm living in the blessing of a previous generation's faith. And so the question is, will I continue that faith so that my children can live in the blessing of my faith? Because we're always passing something down to our kids. What are you passing down to your kids? A faith in God or a lack of faith in God? A faithfulness to God or a faithlessness to God? because we're passing one or the other down to our children. Now, if you're in church today, Dad, we know you're passing your faith to your kids, and so we just want to honor you right now. Give it up for these dads who are in God's house honoring the Lord today. You're passing your faith down. He says, if you obey all the decrees and commands, you will enjoy a long life. Listen, care, listen closely, Israel. When it says Israel in the Old Testament, that's saying Christians in the New Testament. So he's saying, hey, listen, Christian, talking to you and me. Listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey. Then all will go well with you, and you will have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Wow, it's a promise from God. He says your, your life will go well. You'll live a long, prosperous, blessed life in the land of the milk and honey. Right? In other words, God's saying, I will bless you if you'll just be faithful to me. But he doesn't just say, I'll bless you. He says, I'll bless you and your children and your children's children. Wow, that's a hundred year promise from God. Would you write this down, fathers? Number one, fathers, get a 100 year vision. You see, when you honor God, it's not just about you. It's about your kids learning to honor God. It's about them learning. You know, I never struggle with tithing. You know why? Dad always tithed. I saw him do it, so I just started at 13 tithing. Never been a problem for me. Why? My dad is the one who had to struggle early on going, oh, this is tough. I've never done this before. And he had to have the faith to begin to tithe to the Lord. And guess what? Because of that, I just grew up in the home of sacrifice. So it was just normal for me to do it. My kids think tithing is just normal. 
Why? Because that's what they learned from their mom and dad, what we learned from our mom and dad, right? I think it's normal to go to God's house every single week. Why? I learned it from my parents. My kids think it's normal, right? Most parents and families don't always do that. But in our home, that's normal. Wouldn't it be great if maybe you struggle with tithing, you struggle with attending church regularly, you struggle with forgiving someone, or you struggle, whatever you struggle with, wouldn't it be great if you overcame that and began to be faithful to God so that your kids just think it's normal? Wouldn't it be great? Think about that for a second. They just think it's normal. That's just what you do. Because that's what my mom and my dad did. So that's just what we do. That's the blessing that you can give your kids. Father, get a 100-year vision. By the way, you know this, this, this Dodge Hellcat behind me? It has two sets of keys, not one. One set of keys is for the owner. The other set of keys is for the valet if you take it to a valet sometime, let's say you're going to a nice restaurant and you want to give the keys to someone to park it for you, you don't give them your keys, you give them the valet key because the valet key actually puts a governor on the engine and won't go as fast. So that way some 15-year-old kid parking your car or 16-year-old kid parking your car is not going to go out and have a good time. So they put a governor on it. Isn't that kind of like what we have to do, Dad, sometimes? You know, part of our role that we don't really like that much, but it's an important part, is that we have to put a governor sometimes on our own kids. Like, yeah, I know there's going to be a day that you can stay out as late as you want. That day is not today. And so we have to put a governor on that, right? I know you want to go out with whoever you want to go out with. No, you go out with who I say you can hang out with right? And so we have to be the bad guy sometimes say, no, you're not going to wear shorts that short. No, you're not going to go hang out with that person. No, you're not going to go to that party or spring break here or there. No, you're not going to. Why? Because we're saying, hey, we did some of that stuff and it messed us up and we're not going to let you get messed up. And so dad, it's okay. It's part of our role, dad, to put a governor on it and say, no, you can't do all the things that you think you can do. I love you enough to say no. It's important. That's a good thing, not a bad thing. I have friends from high school, and I remember thinking their parents were the coolest parents. I was like, wow, I wish my parents were that cool. They let them do whatever, and they can go to any party. They can throw parties at their own house, and they can do this. And I thought, their parents are so cool. And then about 10 years later, most of my friends that had parents like that did anything and everything they wanted. And so now they're 25, 30 years old, and they're starting to pay the price and consequences of all those things they did. And they're the ones going back to the parents saying, why in the world did you let me do that? And so the parent who wanted to be friends with their teenagers, 10, 15 years later, their, their grown children are angry with them, saying, what were you thinking letting me do that? Parents, remember that. There are certain ages you just need to know, you're really not their friend, you're their parent. They have friends, they need a parent. Does that make sense? It's okay to be a parent. Don't be afraid to do that, it's okay. So fathers, get a 100-year vision. Here's another thing, too. You know, Einstein said that the, one of the most amazing things ever discovered was compound interest, right? And so if you're a mathematician, you know the power of compound interest is incredible. If you, don't, if you haven't experienced the, the power of it, you should start investing now just a little something every month, and you'll look up 10 years from now. If you leave it alone, wow, it'll shock you what it turns into. It's really amazing, actually. In fact, what happens eventually, if you'll invest long enough, like in the stock market, and just every single month put something aside, if you'll do that, within just a few years, your, your interest will make more money than you ever put in. It's pretty amazing how it does that. In fact, people that save over a million dollars, actually over about 30, 40 years, they only put about 80,000 in. Isn't that amazing? That's the power of compound interest. It's just incredible how, how much you can get. In fact, if you'll invest $2.74 a day for 40 years equals a million dollars. So less than the latte a day if you'll invest it and leave it alone in a moderate return investment, you'll have over a million dollars in 40 years. Pretty amazing, isn't it? So compound interest really works. But did you know that spiritual compound interest also works? It really does. 
Look at the scripture on this. It says in Proverbs 20, verse 7, it says, The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. So here's the thing. Dad, if you just take the time to pray with your kids at the dinner, dinner table, take the time to pray with him when, when it's bedtime. If you'll take the time to encourage him and give him scripture, just take him to church with you. Don't drop him off at church. Take him to church with you and just be leading in church. If you'll just begin to do that, those little daily things of just being, just showing some spirituality in your life, nothing crazy, you don't have to become a preacher, you just just pouring into them about the things of God, praying over them, honoring the Lord, honoring their mother, bringing honor in your life and integrity. If you just do those little things every day, eventually look up 10, 20 years now, and you'll see your kids and you'll think, wow, I don't know how that happened, but my kids are awesome, and they love God. Because what happens is, those daily inputs of being the spiritual man in your home eventually leads to compound interest in their life. And you look up and you go, wow, I don't know how I deserve to have kids these awesome, this awesome. And so if you'll just do that daily. So what does that mean for you and me? Would you write this down, fathers? Put in the spiritual capital every day and spiritual compound interest eventually takes over. It's really true. Scripture says in Psalms 145, it says, one generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. In other words, if you will walk with God, God will move in your life powerfully, and you'll be able to share that with your kids. Your kids will see your walk with God, and they will walk with God too. And so the truth is that most of Christianity is not taught, it's caught. And so if they are raised in a home where you care about the things of God, they will care about the things of God. Guess what? My kids happen to be Rockets fans and Texans fans. You know why? Because their daddy is. Poor kids, pray for them. It's really tough on them. I'm telling you right now. The truth is, though, is that the reason they like those teams is because their daddy likes those teams. I bet the teams you like, your daddy liked. It's true, isn't it? Dad, we have a big influence. We really do. And so I remember the day my son came home and said, Dad, I'm going to become a Dallas Cowboy fan. I was like, that's awesome. Where are you going to live? <laughs> he was like, oh, I guess I'm going to be a Texas fan. I was like, there you go. <laughs> the truth is that we have an influence, don't we? We really do. We have an impact on our children, and they tend, to, they tend to like the things we like. If you're into fishing, I bet your kids get into fishing, right? If you're an outdoorsman, I bet your kids become outdoorsmen. If you're into, you know, having a clean house, guess what? Your, your kids will probably grow up and like a clean house, even if they don't now. Like, you're like, there's no way they will, but believe it or not, they, they pick up on your habits. It's really true. And so you become like your parents. So think about that. If your kids became just like you, would the next generation of this world be better or worse? That's a good question, isn't it? If your kids became just like you, would it be better or worse? And so I want to encourage you, you really do make an impact. So invest that spiritual capital in them. Speaking of that, a lot of you have invested literal capital, invested money in the next generation because this last month we were raising some funds so students that didn't have the resources to go to camp could go to camp. I want to thank you for the impact you made on so many of our students that couldn't afford camp that you paid for them to go. Thank you for that. And I want to show you the impact that you had. Check this out. My name is Ricky Franks, and this is my first time at camp. My first impression was like, oh, this is going to be fun. People keep telling me about the pond and the blob, and then I just seen to my right there's a pool and like a big old basketball court. My favorite wreck so far was probably the one that we did today, team wreck, because of course, it's all of a team, and we just, TJ breaking ankles, everybody breaking ankles, throwing the ball, mossing each other. It was just so fun. Now, whenever I heard that there was going to be upperclassmen, and I didn't really feel intimidated at all because I already knew this is a church camp and they're here to help. I was just thinking that they would be the more wise ones, just like Luke and TJ. 
My favorite part of the day was probably whenever we went to go party and stuff because everybody was laughing. I just like during the day partying because it's so much fun seeing people smile. We all first came up with the chant because of Luke and TJ. We all had Mortal Kombat in our head and we're like, oh, there's Luke Kang. We all know that Luke Kang's favorite movie is The Bicycle Kick. And Scorpion's favorite movie is the Get Over Here. And it's just, it was just a great moment how everybody could be a part of it. God impacted me very much because he made me rethink my life, what true friends I have. And I never really got up to surrender my life to Christ before. But whenever I did it that night, kind of like felt the goosebumps on me. And it just felt really good to get up and finally really sat singing and dancing, worshiping with your friends, jumping around, having fun. Me and JD before church camp, we were like, we were close here and there. And like, even though he lived like right there, he's always been a really cool friend. And then the third day I brought him up to the stage and whenever I went to him, I like looked down at him. He was all sad. And I told him, you wanna go up there? And he smiled at me and then he nodded his head yes. And we both walked up there. He was a little nervous at first because he was thinking that people were going to make fun of him or something like that. Uh, while we were worshiping, I just had to tell him to keep his head high and keep his hands high to praise. I had pride in myself to go help my friend, and I didn't really care what other people thought about me. Me and Daddy, we've always like, uh, teased each other, roasting each other. It's just how we do. Even before camp, we would always roast each other, but jump on each other, dunk on each other, and do whatever. No matter what, we'll always have each other's back because we just have that close bond. This camp is so great. It can make you go from not knowing who God is to God every day. You get to worship and just accept God in your life. There's nothing better than that. Isn't that great? That's what it's about right there. So many of our parents, you know, many of them took off work and gave a week of their vacation to come to camp to pour into your children. That is a father being a father to the fatherless. Many of our students, not all of them, many of them have great families, but there's a lot of them that don't have dads in their homes. And the Bible says that God is a father to the fatherless. It says that in Scripture. It says it in Psalm 68, 5. And so, you know, maybe that's you. You think, man, I don't, I don't have, my kids don't have that in our home, and it's frustrating. But the truth is that's what the church is for. If your kids go to children's church, if your, children's, if your students go to youth, guess what? There's fathers there that, that are pouring into your children. And so that's just one practical way that you can have a father in a fatherless home. Just want to encourage you with that too. There's also a ministry I wanted to mention too that there's a couple of booths set up. Uh, we have a couple campuses with booths. Maybe your campus doesn't have a booth, but you can go online and we can get you connected to them. There's a ministry here that we believe in called Majesty Outdoors. One of our former staff members who was with us for 10 years is still a great church member here, Dave Cotham. He leads this ministry. And what it is is for outdoorsmen that actually get together and then take a group of kids that don't have dads in their homes. They take them out into the outdoors and just pour into them and teach them about Jesus and teach them about their relationship with God. It's an incredible ministry, and so I encourage you, single moms, take your kids, get them involved in this. It's a great way for them to see spiritual leadership in dads. And so even if your, your uh, ex-husband is no longer involved with your children, that doesn't mean that they are done. It doesn't mean that there's not men who will pour into their lives. Can we give it up for great men who are willing to pour into other children as well? It's a great thing. It's a great thing. 
You know, I want, to, I want to read something to you, and it's a little long, but it's really powerful. It's by a guy named Ray Stedman. I want to read this because what he has to say in his book called Family Life is very powerful. And so I, I, want, to, I, want, to, I want to challenge you with something here. He says this. He says, I've been in the homes where there is no testimony to God or recognition of him at all. And yet they have been orderly homes, moral homes, loving homes, a joy to be in, and where the children are obviously well-adjusted and able to cope with life. Some people are ready to say, what difference then does Christianity add? The answer is that if you investigate a home like that, you will find that just a generation or so back, there has been a significant Christian exposure somewhere in that family. In other words, secular homes of that character are living on the capital of faith which has been invested by a previous generation. They are spending the bank account of spiritual understanding that was set up by their recent ancestors. And in a sense, this is what our whole nation has been doing. We have been living on the spiritual bank account of our forefathers, but now the resources upon which we as a people have been drawing are gone. Wow. So, you know, I want to challenge you because maybe you were kind of dragged here today at church because you're not really into the things of God anymore. Maybe you say, well, my parents were. You know, there's some dads that that maybe are watching this or being asked to come to church, and they're not into it, but they've been asked by a family member to come. And they think, you know, I I grew up in church. I'm not into that because I got offended by someone, or I didn't like this or that rule, or I felt judged at one point in time. By the way, if you're in church any time at all, that's going to happen. And by the way, all those things also happen if you stay at the company long uh, also or go to school anytime. In other words, that's just being human. That just means you met people that are jerks. Welcome to the world. So don't walk away from your faith because someone was an idiot. You don't want to abandon your faith in God because of that. But so I know people that say, yeah, I grew up in, in, in a home and I was made to go to church. I didn't like that. So I'm not going to make my kids do that. And so they'll say things about their family, like, well, we, we believe in God, but we don't really go to church, we don't really honor him, like we don't go, do all that, but we, we are moral people and we're good people, we are a good family. And I know some families that are like that. But then those same people that are good families that, that kind of pulled away from God because their parents, maybe the dad or mom weren't into it, and so they, they pulled away from that, and their kids seem to be pretty good and they have relatively a good family and pretty moral, that kind of thing. And then they get shocked when their 16-year-old gets pregnant. They get shocked when their 15-year-old tries to do drugs. They get shocked when their son or daughter has serious problems with the police. And they're like, what? Where did you get this? Uh, this is not our family values. And those kids are like, what are you talking about? What I learned from you is that you're not into God. So what, there's no standard rule. See, you forget that the moral code by which our nation and by which our families have been led by is from God. It's not just some random moral code. And so what happens is, is that was more spiritual in the home before you grew up in, and then you're coasting on the spirituality and the moral code that your parents gave you, but your kids, you never gave them that foundation, so you wonder why they go off the reservation. And so what happens is, is they're going off what they were taught, nothing. And so I'm not trying to judge you or, or, or preach down at you, but I want to challenge you before you start to think, I'm fine, I'm good, I don't need all that. But your kids do. And so you're living off the spiritual bank account of your parents and just coasting, and, they, and then you wonder why when your kids get ready to live off of something, you spend it all. There's nothing left. You didn't invest in them. The same thing's happening in our nation. In the 1950s, God was still in government, and God was still in our communities, in our schools, and people thought there was a moral code and a standard, and we believed in honoring the Lord, and we believed in things like that, that we were actually a nation under God. And now we have a generation that's pulling all that away, and we think we're fine, but we're still coasting off our parents' faith. What's going to happen a generation from now here in America? You're going to see serious problems. <laughs> 
And if you don't believe me, please ask any military personnel around you, any veteran around you, say, what was it like going and serving the military in godless nations around the world? How'd that look? They'll let you know, it ain't pretty. True godless nations are a disaster. And so we need to wake up and recognize, say, what does this have to do with this message? Everything. Because fathers, you are the standard bearer of the faith in your home. If you want to know the spiritual temperature in your home, put the thermometer in your mouth. Because if you'll take it serious, your kids will too. It's really true. And so not only as a nation, but as a community and also as families. And so we really do make that kind of an impact. Now, I want to I kind of go hard at you for one moment, and I promise I'll be nice after this, okay? But this is a big deal. I want to give you a scripture here, guys. I want to challenge you with this. It says in Matthew 19, 5, it says, For this, this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife. Would you please write this down? Number three, I want to challenge you men to do this. Number three, cleave and don't leave. Cleave and don't leave. The basic building block of our families is your marriage. It really is. And so if you'll cleave and don't leave. Some of you guys feel a little beat up right now. You're like, man, pastor, this is really hard for me because you don't understand. I've already kind of blown that. Well, we're going to give you a little help in just a minute. Hang in there. Please don't walk out. But I want to challenge you. I have no problem telling you these things. And you may be offended and want to walk out. And you can walk out if you want, but it doesn't change the truth. Because here's what's going to happen. God's not going to walk out of our church because I'm speaking his truth. So I'd rather be faithful to him, even if it's a little painful to us. Okay? Malachi chapter 2 says this, God is calling us out, his people. He says this, and this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Ouch. God's saying, man, you can't be blowing off the covenant you made. But so many men have done that and has created fatherless homes. And I know you think, oh, I'm just going to start over with my new family. But you still have kids from your old family that need you. So it's fine to have kids from your new family, but don't check out of your kids from your previous marriage. And, and what I want to challenge you, if you're on your second or third marriage, I'm not trying to beat you up today. I'm just trying to say, if you're married right now, cleave. Don't leave. Even you say, but I've already blown it two times. Make sure you don't blow the third. And so wherever you are in this, I want to challenge you to stay faithful. We need to learn that we actually did commit to something when we said, in sickness and in health, for better or for worse, right? Good or bad, baby, I'm in this. I'm staying with you. Look at my wife. I'm like, you're stuck with me. Sorry, you're just, I'm in this. That's important that we learn that. And so, guys, I'm not trying to beat you up. You may say, man, I've, I've already blown that, Pastor. This is really painful for me. Well, bear with me one more moment because I want to challenge you with this. Because just because you're not in that home anymore, men, does not mean you're still not a father. You need to understand that. You have responsibilities. You're still a father financially. Don't be a deadbeat dad. You need to pay. There's nothing wrong with that. Oh, but my wife doesn't spend it well. You know, that doesn't justify your lack of responsibility. It does not justify that. So I want to challenge you to continue to, to support them. But I want to speak about fatherlessness for, for just a moment. The stats are staggering. And I want to read some of these. I want to show you the importance of a dad. This is the results of fatherlessness. 85% of all children who exhibit behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. 90% of all homeless or runaway children are from fatherless homes. 71% of all high school dropouts are from fatherless homes. 75% of all adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers are from fatherless homes. Homes. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 70% of juveniles in state-operated institutions, in other words, you're a juvie, 
fatherless homes. 85% of all youth sitting in prison today are in fatherless homes, and 80% of all rapists are from fatherless homes. Wow. Guys, you're a game changer. We need you. Children need you. They don't need your stuff. They need you. They really do. They need you. And, and this, this may seem a little gritty, but here's the good news. If you'll just plug back in with your kids, all of that reverses. All of that turns around. That's the impact that you can make, Dad. You really are a game changer. I want to show you one last scripture. I promise you, I told you I was going to bring it back, make it a little positive for you. I promise. So I want to encourage you today. Some of you dads are like, man, I, I mean, I can't go back. I can't, I can't go back and remarry my first wife. I mean, first of all, I know men that do. Not, not if you're already married to a second wife. Don't do that. But I do believe, and I have seen it in our own church many times where people that were divorced get remarried. I've seen it. I've seen God do that. God could do that. Don't close your mind to that. You'd be amazed what God could do. Oh, God's never going to turn their heart around. Well, he turned yours. Why couldn't he turn theirs? I promise you, they didn't think that would happen. And so you'd be amazed what God can do. But even if that is all said and done, you say, Pastor, there's no going back. She's remarried. He's remarried, you know, or, or whatever. You know, that's all there. I'm remarried. If that happens, it's not all said and done. Here's what God says next. In fact, I want to show you a scripture here. This is in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Now, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. Chapter 4 is the last chapter in the last book of the Old Testament. Verse 5 and 6 is the last verses of the last chapter of the last book in the Old Testament. And then God goes silent. For 400 years. God goes silent for 400 years. So, so, so if he knows he's going to go silent, no prophets are going to be speaking to the people of God for 400 years. Don't you think the last thing he says, if he's not talking again for 400 years, is probably a big deal? How many of you guys are agreeing with that? Like, okay, whatever you're going to say, if you hadn't talked in 400 years, it must be a big deal. So what did God reserve for his last statement to say to his people before he goes silent for 400 years? Look what he says. He says, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. That refers, by the way, to John the baptizer, to John the Baptist. It says, because they called him, they said he's like the new Elijah that then introduced us to our Lord Jesus, okay? And so that's in the New Testament. But, but he's, so they refer to him. So it says, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So he says, if the fathers and the sons don't get back in relationship, the whole land will be destructive. Aren't there neighborhoods in every town where there's almost no fathers? Would you agree with that? Think about that. Aren't there some, some places where there's almost no dads? What are those streets like? Destructive. It's destruction. Mob rule. Gang violence. That's exactly what we're talking about. No dads plugged in? That's what you get. So he says, hey, before I go quiet, this is the biggest instruction I can give you. Dad, turn your heart back towards your children. He, notice he says earlier in Malachi, he says, hey, you left your wife, right? So he doesn't say, go back to your wife. He doesn't say that because he knows, hey, sometimes you're just past that. But he says, but what you're not past is your kids. 
So go back, turn your heart back towards your children, and then children, turn your heart back towards your dad. That's what we're doing today. We're celebrating our hearts turning towards our father, saying we love you, we're grateful for you. That's what we're doing today. But he says, turn your hearts back. Then he goes silent for 400 years. And at the end of 400 years of silence, he finally speaks again through a prophet. He finally has one more prophet before Jesus comes and takes center stage. That one more prophet, we think that all the prophets that that are pre-Jesus are all Old Testament, but there's one in the New Testament right before Jesus named John the Baptist. And all of a sudden, God finally has a mouthpiece again 400 years later, and so he finally speaks up. (gasps) What is he gonna say after 400 years of silence, and the last thing he said was, turn your hearts to your children, children to the fathers. And now I'm gonna talk again after 400 years. <gasps> What's he gonna say? Luke chapter one, verse 17. John the Baptist, he will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. And he will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. He bookends The silence of God with, turn your heart towards your kids. Kids, turn your heart towards your dads. Dads, I'm gonna speak up again. Turn your heart towards your kids. I think it's pretty clear to say this is a big deal. Would you agree? The last thing he says, the first thing he says, wow. Dad, you are a game changer. Here's the point, number four. It's not too late. Turn your heart towards God and towards your children. It's not too late too late for you to make a huge impact. You say, man, if I call my kids right now, they wouldn't even believe I was calling them. They would say, where have you been? I can't believe. Let them say it and call them again the next day. And let them say it again and call them the next day. Eventually, they're going to realize you're actually legit, you are serious, and you're going to be in their lives again. It's worth the pain of what they're going to say to you and say about you and, and unload on you. It's worth it, Dad. Turn your heart back to your kids. Kids, turn your heart back towards your dad. Over 10 years ago, we opened this facility. We now call the Broadcast Campus. We have campuses all over South Texas now, up in San Antonio. We're about to open one just about six weeks here. Six to eight weeks is crazy how fast that's come. But this campus kind of began it all. We, we grew in, in, in an old building that only had about 650 people, and we just had six or seven services just to make room for the people. God was blessing us. We realized we needed a new facility. We bought this, bought this land and began to save money and over a five-year process of sacrificing and giving, people, many of you, helped us move into this facility that has facilitated us planting churches all over the world. It's, we're large enough to have a big impact, thank God. But over 10 years ago, when we moved in this building, it was Easter weekend. It was a big weekend already, and then Easter that, you know, put over the top. The press was outside. There were thousands of people lined up at the doors waiting to get in. People were saying about us in the papers, you know, there's never been a church like this in Corpus Christi. And that made us feel nice, but, you know, we give the glory to God for all that. But I remember that day, just about an hour before service, I was in the very back of this building right over here, and I was kneeling down at the chairs, and I was just praying, thanking God, and asking God to do something really special. We worked so hard, we prayed, we sacrificed. So many people were still running around the building getting everything ready. All the people were outside. It was just me and a handful of people in here, and I was praying, and I kept turning to my assistant saying, are my parents here yet? And they would say, oh, no, they're not, they're not here yet. Like, okay, and I'd pray, and I'd look up, and go, hey, can you see if my parents are here? And they'd go again, let me see. And then finally someone said, yeah, your, your mom and dad are here. I said, please bring them in. So I was outside still. Mom and dad came in. And the reason why I wanted them here is because I wanted, with my, with my family, I wanted to walk them around the whole facility and just show them. I wanted to be the first to show 
my mom and my dad, the whole building. And I'll be honest with you, the reason why is really simple. Because I'm a grown man. And I was still longing to hear from my father. And my dad looked at me and he had his arm around mom and he put his arm around me and I'll never forget. He said, son, we are so proud of you. Look at what you've done. Look at what God has done through you. We are so proud of you. I'm a grown man and I still love and long to hear that my dad is proud of me. I know grown men who have lost their fathers that never heard that. And there is a wound in them. And they are still fighting battles, still trying to make more money and have more success, thinking that one day they'll hear their dad say, I'm proud of you. And their dad's not even on this earth anymore. That's the power a father has. Dad, you're a game changer. You make a huge impact. Would you bow your heads with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed. And we just take a moment to pray. I want to encourage you today. Maybe you don't have your father with you. Maybe your prayer is just to say, God, I thank you for the years I had him. I thank you for the years I had him. Or maybe your prayer today is to say, Pastor, this is really hard because I'm in a strange relationship with my father or my kids. Maybe your prayer today is to say, God, would you help me bring healing to that relationship? Would you help me connect again with my dad, with my kid? I believe God can do miracles. I've seen it happen. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, your heavenly father loved you so much, he sent his son, Jesus, to die for you. Your prayer today can be that you can embrace the faith of your fathers, the faith of those before you, by accepting Christ as your Lord and your Savior. You see, God sent his son, Jesus, to die for you, to pay the price for your sins and for mine. Then he rose again from the grave, proving that he's God. You can pray and you can receive him right now. Pray this prayer with me. You can say, dear Jesus, I realize I need you. I believe you died for me. I believe you paid the price for my sin. And I believe you rose again. I ask you to come into my heart, be my Lord, and be my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In your name we pray, amen.